0: Podcast. diving diving deep, deep diving deep into all things Texas both on and off the field here's Sean Pendergast and pro football hall of famer the general John McClain welcome welcome to Utopia hey
1: everybody welcome in the Utopia football podcast we are just a couple days away from the biggest game in the history of the Houston Texans as they travel to Baltimore for the divisional round of the playoffs we got a busy busy episode for you today. Um, we'll do some for real or fugazes. We're going to do a six pack to get you ready for the game. And we've got a a Ravens insider, a Ravens podcast host, Rita Hubbard going to join us here shortly. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of pain and Pendergast on sports radio 610 joined as always by my good friend, the hall of famer and our senior columnist at sports radio, 610.com John McClain, John, we're two days away and, uh, and, um, I think uh, a lot of excitement surrounding this game and uh, the excitement continues to build for CJ Stroud. A lot of attention the Texans and Stroud are getting heading into this game.
2: They're getting a lot of well-deserved national recognition on all the football shows, national talk shows, and uh, there's a buzz about this team. And, uh, and one of the reasons it starts at the top with D'Amico, you know, I was watching him. He's always had such a great smile. It's kind of a captivating smile. Even those Stroud is an assassin out there he's also he's he people warm to him because of his personality uh he's not he's just so humble and honest and so i think that people like him and even if they lose to the ravens it'll be everybody will be so fired up about them next season but it's a great opportunity you know they hope that the ravens are are out of sync because they haven't Played, they rested the starters, and then they got a bye week. The Texans are hot, and they should be confident coming off that uh, that great victory over the Browns. And I've got a column I'm working on. D'Amico's last game here was that loss to the uh, Ravens in the divisional round after the 2011 season, and he would certainly wish to go back and win this one, and what an incredible Victory it would be for them to upset the Ravens oh. and give Houston a team in the AFC Championship game for the first time since the '79 Oilers.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it'll be great. The, the line is back up to nine and a half. It had dropped to nine earlier this week. Um, it's back up to nine and a half. So that it, it seems as though, unless some late money comes in on the Ravens, it seems as though the betting community has largely agreed that the Ravens, at least on paper, are slightly better than a touchdown. You know, they're they're a. I'll call it a two-score better, you know, John. You know, nine, nine and a half, ten points. Does um, that line, without giving away your prediction, does that line feel about right to you? Like, uh, kind of, where are you surprised? I think it's a little
2: high based on the yeah. way the Texans have played and based on the inactivity of the Ravens. I think a lot of it has to do with playing outdoors in cold weather. The coldest mm-hmm. game they played in was forty-eight degrees in Nashville. It was fifty-eight at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. So I think the weather, the divisional round, the fact that the Ravens are the best team in the AFC may be the best in the NFC because they walloped the 49ers. And uh, I think if the Texans could keep it close, if they lose, they would they would capture even more respect from the nationwide audience.
1: I agree. All right, um, so let's do this. We're going to do a six-pack. We're going to do some for real or fugazis. But before we do that, Rita Hubbard, The NFL Chick is what she goes by on Twitter, at the NFL Chick. She is the host of the Winning Drive podcast, which is our Baltimore Ravens podcast in this Odyssey family of NFL podcasts. Rita Hubbard joined John and I a little bit earlier. Here is that conversation breaking down the Baltimore Ravens. All right. It is Texans and it is Ravens. And it is Saturday, 3.30 Houston time, 4.30 Eastern time. Uh, Big one. The Texans with a divisional round win over the Cleveland Browns move on, and now they face the top-seeded Baltimore Ravens. Joining us right now on the Utopia Football Podcast to help give us the Baltimore perspective on this huge matchup coming up on Saturday afternoon, uh, Rita Hubbard, the NFL chick. She is uh, host of The Winning Drive, which is our Baltimore Ravens podcast here in the Odyssey family. Rita, it's great to talk to you. How are you feeling a couple days out from this matchup here?
0: Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say that I was a little nervous and a little anxious. You know, I think that that's what happens when you haven't seen uh, your first teamers in about three weeks. So you start getting a little antsy and wondering, you know, how everything is going to unfold.
1: So the big story here, obviously, this season has been C.J. Stroud and the rookie year that he's had. And obviously, Lamar Jackson's about to win. His second MVP, a question that I brought up on my show, my radio show this morning, or just, I guess, a a, a, a question or theory or whatever it may be. Um, I'm curious what the confidence level is in Lamar. I feel like the confidence level in CJ Stroud here universally is that he's going to play a really good game because he's been awesome down the stretch here with the bright lights. We know that Lamar Jackson is a great football player, but he struggled in the postseason. What What do you sense the confidence level is right now surrounding the Ravens when it comes to Lamar's performance this coming Saturday?
0: I, You know, they, they use the the term locked in a lot around here. Um, you know, Lamar has been a person that um, the, the accolades that are either individually or the team accolades week to week, have no effect on him. I don't want to say no, but it doesn't have the effect on him that people would like to think. Um, it's interesting because I think in the dolphins game, they put on the jumbotron that Lamar had, you know, set some records uh, for rushing or something. And they tried to kind of get him on the, the jumbotron to acknowledge it. He's not acknowledging it at all. He's just really, you know, his focus is the super bowl. And, you know, he knows what happened in 2019 he knows what happened in 2020. He obviously mixed, missed the last two seasons in 2021 and 2022. So he really feels like this is the next step for him. I've won an MVP. I've won a Heisman Trophy. What I need now to solidify my legacy is to go to and win a Super Bowl. So I, I definitely think that he feels all of the, the the past uh, playoff situations uh, in his head, but he also wants to move forward because this is a different Ravens team that they've had in those playoff years.
2: Yeah, uh, Ray, I wanted to ask you, uh, going back to the uh, first game, Todd Monken was in his first game as the offensive coordinator. Have you seen Jackson in the offense uh, evolve with him compared to Greg Roman?
0: It's just been a, a, a huge difference, and 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 terms of the run game, it's not that much of a difference because. I think that Monken adopted um, some of the run schemes that Greg Roman had there, but from a perspective of the uh, passing, def- uh, excuse me, offense, I definitely see a difference um, from the Greg Roman offense. It appeared to me that what he would do a lot was allow guys to kind of run option routes, and for I think that was the problem with the spacing that we would hear about, like from analysts that would watch the film. Um, And that doesn't necessarily always work. Some guys are really good at option routes. Some guys are not. And I think with Todd Monken, he allows the guys that are able to do the option routes to do them. But then there are guys that you kind of have to give a little bit of structure to. And I think that the biggest thing is that Todd Monken allows Lamar to see the field as fit and to go with the play that works best for that situation. So um, he truly trusts Lamar he allows him to open up a little bit. And again, you know, everybody is not out there running option routes. There are some guys that are actually, you know, running routes from the tree. There are some guys that know how to get in between the zones and you're allowing them to kind of freelance there. But ultimately, I do think that he's allowed him to be his best self by implementing things that he sees as best for what's going on with the defense that they're facing. Another thing, too, is that he also trusts Lamar to kind of just it a little bit you hear Zay Flowers talk about Lamar said you know go out there and just play school ball go out there and just you know play like you know that you're in high school or whatever so you know what that means It's, it's basically a sense of getting open and finding chemistry with those wide receivers that you're playing with so he has a lot of trust in the guys that he has now as opposed to not having as much um consistency at wide receiver in years past. And then you add Todd Munkin, who trusts him and just gives him the passing concepts and schemes that will help them unfold and and move down the field. And it's been very successful thus far.
1: Rita Hubbard, the NFL chick, joining us. She is host of the Winning Drive, the Ravens podcast, as part of our Odyssey family here. Um, Rita, sticking with the offense for a second, it sounds like Mark Andrews at least is back to being a full participant in practice as we talk to you uh, here as we record this. Um, does that mean that he's definitely coming back for this game? And if so, what's the effect here for the Ravens, especially considering the fact that Isaiah likely has become a nice weapon for Lamar Jackson in Andrew's absence this season?
0: Yeah, it's funny because on Monday I probably would have told you I don't foresee Mark Andrews playing unless they maybe advance to the AFC Championship game um, and allow him to get himself together. And then on Tuesday and Wednesday he had very, very good practices, like to the point where he looked really good and so now I, I've gone from, I don't think he's going to play this weekend to maybe he does play this weekend. Now, if he does, obviously, I think that there's going to be a pitch count. He's not going to probably play more than maybe 20% of the snaps. And maybe this he's a guy that they'll particularly target in the red zone uh, because he is a big target for them. But I don't think that that's going to take much away from Isaiah likely um, outside of the red zone. If, Mark Andrews does play. And like you said, they've created a rapport and likely has done a really good job in place of Mark Andrews. But Mark Andrews is a guy who, when we talked about allowing guys to kind of, you know, go into the zones and, and, and run option routes, he's the best at what he does. And clearly him and Lamar have a connection. So I think, if Mark Andrews is at 80 percent, 85 percent, I think that he'll play not at a full capacity, of course. But I definitely think you'll see a little bit of him out there for sure.
2: Realized week, Texans went up against the number one defense, now the number one scoring defense team that gets after the quarterback better than any in the NFL. Uh, Lamar gets most of the publicity, of course, and your number one running game but what about the defense and the how much better it is under McDonald
0: this is the defense that has really, really flourished. Um, one of the concerns when you play in a division like the AFC North, particularly once you start to see what Cleveland has done in the offseason, bringing, you know, when they brought in guys like Amari Cooper, the previous offseason, they have a really good tight end and Joku. And then the, the Bengals, of course, um, with their wide receiving corner. Steelers have a pretty decent one, too, with Deontay Johnson. Um, as well as as Pickens. So you kind of have to find someone that's going to try to neutralize these wide receivers, and the Bengals was the biggest problem for the Ravens in the previous years. Here comes Mike McDonald. He's done a really good job of keeping those receivers in front of them as opposed to allowing them to get behind them. Um, a lot of it is scheme, but we have to also – acknowledge the personnel that they had. They, you know, we all know that they traded for Roquan Smith last year, and that has up that has really bolstered up the middle of the field with their linebacking group. Kyle Hamilton has been a, a all pro this year, a, a kid that, you know, second year, and a lot of people said he was a little too slow. And then he turns out being one of the best players that they have um, in that secondary. And so while you you have to assume that Marlon Humphrey's not going to play because he hasn't practiced this week. Um, I think that they're confident with the scheme that they use, but also they have guys that have stepped up this year. Brandon Stevens is a guy that has really come in and done done well. Ronald Darby has played well since he got signed. And Arthur Millette, who a lot of people, including myself, saw him in Pittsburgh and wasn't really impressed, has really turned around and made this really look good. And then they also run three safeties pretty often. Um, So you'll see Geno Stone, Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton out there often. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out, because you have to assume that Schultz is going to be one of their big targets outside of Nico Collins. I'd expect to see some three uh, safety sets, but Mike McDonald has been fantastic at putting guys in their best position and allowing them to flourish in that, in that way.
1: Okay. So Rita, for those watching on the video, is the cat that just went behind <laughs> you on the couch, is that bad luck for us or bad luck for you? What, how, so what my that cat happen? has
0: a problem. I just want you guys to know every time I record the cat <laughs> has to get on the screen. It doesn't matter. As soon as That's she funny. sees the light is on, she's like, Oh, she's doing a podcast. Okay. Well, then I'm gonna go ahead and uh make my 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 uh quick appearance, So That's what she did. I apologize, guys. No, no apology necessary. <laughs> this is what podcasts
1: this is what podcasts are all about. It's about the unvarnished, the raw things like cats walking in the background. I don't like hearing that your cat is a frequent contributor to these podcasts because you guys are the number one seed in 13 and 4. So that tells <laughs> me it's been bad. That tells me it's been bad luck for the other teams. That's it's a now, tradition listen. now. It's
0: possible. That it, it could be close, it could be close, man. Because usually she'll sit behind me and sit there. She just did a quick drive by just she did, now, so she did. it's we very scared possible her off, that this might be a little bit different. Because because for whatever reason she didn't like the vibe and of what was funny. going on and she had to move along. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great, Rita Hubbard joining us here on the Utopia Football Podcast. Um, so, Rita, I want to go a little deeper with one of the one of the Ravens you just mentioned on defense. The Texans had the thirteenth overall pick in the draft two years ago. And I was pining for Kyle Hamilton big time that year. That They take him at 13. They move back to 15 and leave him sitting there for the Ravens at 14. It, it's really hurt that the Texans drafted Kenyon Green, who's been injured all season and hasn't played well. Um, can you uh, dig a little deeper on the impact that Kyle Hamilton's had? Like you mentioned, first team all pro, but as someone who watched every snap of him in college at Notre Dame, I don't care about the 40 time. He is freaky as hell. Can you Can you speak to the impact that he's had? on that defense and where you think that how important an ingredient is he to trying to stop CJ Stroud and slow down that Texans offense this weekend?
0: He has been uh, a huge piece of what this defense wants to do. And there there's literally games that I could pinpoint where um, Kyle Hamilton had been removed and you can see the difference when he's not out there. The, The Rams game is one of them where he had gotten hurt. That's the game that he sprained his MCL, and um, he did come back in, but eventually he didn't finish the game. And it just literally felt like it was night and day without Kyle Hamilton. He is a big centerpiece in terms of what it is that they want to do, because you can use him for anything. He can blitz. He plays well kind of in a linebacker situation. He can also help you, you know, at, at the back of the uh, the pack part of your defense. So he really is so multifaceted. And the way I really love Mike McDonald is he utilizes him in every single way. Here's a kid that's what six, four, you know, he has a a, a huge wingspan. He might not be that fast, but but he's also very cerebral and very Mm -hmm. smart as well. uh, When it comes to, you know, he's, he's very into watching film. He is obsessed with watching film. So when you start adding all of those components together, you get a player like Kyle Hamilton, who, OK, so he didn't do, you know, well at a combine. But what did the tape say to you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so the Ravens were very lucky because there were rumors that the Ravens were going to try to get Jordan Davis. And as we know, Philadelphia switched with the Texans, traded up, yep. got him. And that hasn't worked out for Philly. So I think this all kind of sorry for the Texans. I apologize that yeah. we took your guy. But um, it all worked out the way that it should, because there was real concern that the Ravens were going to take Jordan Davis if, yeah. if he was available there.
2: Rita, Sean went to uh, Notre Dame, so he loves Hamilton. (laughs) Texans got got one of his former teammates. We call him Big Heine Cardinus, a (laughs) defensive tackle who was an undrafted free agent, but plays a role in a really improved defensive line. I'd like to go back to what you mentioned earlier. We've seen teams in the past – give the starters off the last week of regular season, then they get the bye week off. So it's three weeks, and sometimes they're a little off target or not as in sync. And you you mentioned that early on. Uh, would Lamar need to, like, run to get in sync, or do you expect him to come out and be pinpoint with his receivers?
0: I, I don't think Lamar's interested in running unless he absolutely positively has to. He's shown that. Um, numerous times this year. There are times when I'm like, okay, there's a lane right there. Just get the first down. And he just will not take it. He re- he wants to try to get the ball out by throwing it instead of running. Um, I definitely think that, you know, they'll probably just try to continue to do what they've done. It's funny because I get a lot of flack because I was one of those people that was like, if they get a first round, you know, that's great. They get the one seed. But also, what about the momentum? Does that not matter? And, and people are like, no, They're like you you want them to get the one seed so they can get healthy. And that's completely fair, right? You earn the right to get, uh, be healthy and, and get yourself prepared down the stretch. Uh, but it's always going to be something that you look at in terms of, who is just moving and vibing at the moment. And as of right now, the Texans are playing fantastic football. We saw what they did against the Colts a couple weeks ago um, and getting that AFC South title. And then we saw them basically obliterate the Cleveland Browns. um, And I just didn't see that one coming because I felt like the Browns had some balance there. So right now they're really in a groove. They're in sync. And you hope that even though the Ravens have their starters have not really played in three weeks um, that the practices that they've been doing, because they did practice last week as well and outside they've been practicing outside all week helps them try to kind of not be too rusty when it comes to starting off because the Texans are hot right now. You really can't afford to come off with a slow start. You've got to be able to, to match that energy if you want to kind of not allow them to get ahead the way that they did with the Browns last week.
1: So read a last one before John and I get you out of here. How do you think it plays out on Saturday? What's your prediction?
0: Uh so I you know the Ravens are an interesting team. They're a team that kind of they, they kind of get slow starts anyway. Every now and again they'll find a hot start. Uh the Lions game is one that I can pinpoint. Um, also the uh, Seahawks game. They also started good with the Rams game, but they've had some slow starts as well. The 49ers game is an example. Um, so they look, they haven't played in three weeks. I, I definitely think that it will be a, a slow start. And I definitely think that CJ Stroud is going to keep make sure that they are in this ballgame. I think it's going to be a pretty uh, fun game and close game, but ultimately – um, it's hard for me to pick against a team with the number one scoring defense and the number two scoring offense, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, And this is not me being biased. I love the Texans, by the way. Uh, I, I am extremely happy for C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans, and what they're doing over there. But I do think that the ride ends at m Bank State. Well,
1: you're not going to get any flack from us on picking the number one seed in the AFC, just <laughs> so you know. It may, happen, it may happen a couple more times on the podcast before we're uh, – before we're out of here so um good stuff you can get her is it part of your twitter handle there is covered up is it at the nfl chick
0: yes i i I do not necessarily uh suggest you follow me because i'm I'm i i'm an interesting follow well Um, then there's all the more reason to follow you finding me on podcasts are much better because i come polished and prepared uh i am all (laughs) over the place when it comes to being on Twitter. But if you you like that, then please follow. (laughs) I
1: think you just guaranteed yourself several more follows right there. Rita Hubbard joining us here. The podcast is the Winning Drive podcast. Good stuff about the Baltimore Ravens, who obviously the number one seed in the AFC. It's been a heck of a year in Baltimore. Rita, really appreciate the time. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the game. Thank you, Rita. Thank
0: Thank you you guys for having me. All
1: right, thank you. That's Rita Hubbard joining us here on the Utopia Football Podcast. Big thanks to Rita Hubbard joining us here. On the uh, Utopia football podcast. I enjoyed that conversation, John. That was a nice deep dive on the uh, on the Texans opponent. And it sounds like there is the appropriate amount of respect right now for what the Texans have accomplished, particularly in the recent short term here. You know, they've won four out of five and CJ Stroud looks like one of the best quarterbacks in football. They seem to be very aware of that up in Baltimore, the CJ Stroud element to this.
2: I thought Rita was terrific the way she broke down the Ravens on offense and defense, and they are very, very good. Not surprisingly, she picked the Ravens, as she should have, because they're decisive favorites. But uh, there's a lot for the Texans to worry about. But John John Harbaugh knows he's got a lot to worry about, too. When you have a rookie quarterback playing like Stroud is, and I can't remember – a rookie quarterback playing better. Big Ben didn't start the season, and then he he won all ten of his ten, or maybe he's ten and one or ten and zero, and then they lost to the Patriots in the playoffs. And there had been Marino – You know, there's been a bunch of great quarterbacks in this league. Elway struggled, Manning threw 28 interceptions. I don't know. Maybe Andrew Luck was the last rookie who played this well. But uh, I think C.J. Stroud, what he's capable of doing, strikes a fear in a lot of secondaries.
1: I do, too. John, it's funny. I went and looked, and we know C.J. has thrown five interceptions this year. They all came kind of bunched in that middle part of the season right there. You know, he threw the first one against the Saints – went a couple more weeks, and then through the one that almost lost in the Bengals game, and then threw three against Arizona. He threw 191 passes before he threw his first interception. Through those five interceptions, that Arizona game was week 11, and I know he missed a couple games with the concussion. He's thrown 163 passes since that Arizona game without an interception. You know, like that's wow. that to me is almost as incredible as 191 to start the season is that it's been 163 since the league started to get a book on him a little bit. You know what I mean? I think you can bake some of the 191 pass attempts. Certainly, CJ deserves the lion's share of just making really good decisions. Um, but there was, you know, there's still very little film on him out there with tendencies and things like that. He, that he's gone 163 passes since that uh, Arizona game. And when you consider the stakes, of the last couple of games that we're talking about here, Cleveland, an actual playoff game, Indianapolis, a de facto playoff game. And really Tennessee almost a de facto playoff game too, because because had they lost that, they would have been like seven percent to get into the postseason. Um just remarkable. I mean, just throw it on top of the pile of accolades for CJ Stroud this year.
2: I can't remember where he threw one right to a DB and he dropped it. should have been an interception or that he threw it too hard or too high. Over the middle, where it would ricochet off of the receiver's hands and be intercepted. So, that's one of the things they talk about decision making, how smart he is with the ball, but also what a pretty perfect ball he throws. As I mentioned before, Warren Moon threw as good a pass as anybody's ever seen, just perfect spirals. And that's what Stroud reminds me of.
1: Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a, a howitzer for an arm, like he doesn't have a cannon, you know, but he's got a strong arm for sure but it just comes off his, his hand just beautifully, like differently. And he throws it with touch smooth. Smooth. He's smooth, John. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, you want to do a six pack and a prediction on this bad boy here? Let's do it. All right, let's do, we do a pregame six pack and let's keep going, man. Let's hope this is not the last one that we do for the 2023 slash 2024 season here. Um, a six pack, six coaches, players, position groups, storylines heading into this game against Baltimore on Saturday. That are going to make the difference. And John, as always, we start with you, my friend.
2: I'm going to say uh, with Stroud because he's the single most important player on the team. And something I think is very interesting in games in which he played, in which the opponent had a, has a currently has a winning record. He's seven and three in games like that. He has uh, 19 touch no 21 touchdown passes and two interceptions against. Winning teams, 10 games, and he averages 305.9 yards. And if you take out the first two losses of the season to Baltimore and Indy, both of which ended up with winning records, he averages 304.1 and he's seven and one in games against teams with winning records, with 19 touchdowns and two interceptions. Those stats are Absolutely incredible, Sean, and he's got to do it again for the Texans to have a chance to pull an upset that I think would not really surprise the nation, but I do think it would further captivate the nation and what's going on here in Houston with D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it makes for two incredible (laughs) narratives coming out of that game if he's able to do that, if he pulls off the upset, because you'll have the – yeah, Lamar's going to get an empty MVP award come NFL honors time. You know, the, the Lamar in the postseason angle, you know, unless it's 38 35 or something like that. But I'm assuming in order to win this game, the Texans are going to have to affect Lamar Jackson in some way in this game. Um, so you got that angle. And then, boy, what the, I mean, the conversation going into an AFC title game with CJ Stroud against either Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes on the road what a week, what a week of content that would be. Absolutely incredible. And if, if it goes into Baltimore and wins, There's no reason he can't go into Buffalo or Kansas city and do the exact same thing. Um, So that would be, that would be absolutely amazing. CJ is like the least of the things I'm worried about in this game, John, you know what I mean? Like he's, he is way down the list of things. I don't even know if he's on the list of things I'm worried about because he's so good when the lights are the absolute brightest. Um, John, my first one is a couple of gifts from the gods that we've gotten over the course of this week and the previous few weeks of the schedule that I think factor in in some way in this game. If we're looking for little wrinkles, little incremental things that can close the gap between the very talented Baltimore Ravens and the talented but not as talented Houston Texans, um, I think two things, and I'm going to combine them into one bullet point. Um, The fact that Houston has had cold, cold, cold weather here all week, allowing the Texans to prepare and practice in cold weather in anticipation of playing in cold weather – I think it's a little it's a little thing, but it's something I'm happy they got to do. And I know it's something D'Amico Ryan's think matter he thinks matters. Unless he's lying in his press conferences, he likes the fact that they got to work some outside in the cold weather, like super cold, like damn near as cold as it's gonna be in Baltimore on Saturday weather. That's number one. I also think after listening to Bobby Slowick yesterday, the Texans OC, and about how Baltimore having recently played against Miami and San Francisco. Two teams that run the exact same offense, the tech, largely exactly the same. I mean, there's different wrinkles, but they're Kubiak-Shanahan offenses. And not only that, that he's got film to watch of the Ravens against those two teams, but film where the Ravens have been successful against those two teams and film that is very recent. You know, they played on Christmas, they played San Francisco, and then a week later on New Year's, that weekend is when they played Miami and they destroyed both of those teams. So I think getting that look at the Ravens against those two teams, and I think the weather, I think those are just two little things where you start to feel like, okay, you know, there's some things that are going to need to go the Texans' way in order to win this football game. I feel like just little things leading up to the game like that, those two things, are they matter. I don't know how you quantify it, but they matter to me that those happen that way.
2: And most of that is uh, mental, of course. Temperature is supposed to be in the 20s, and it's supposed to be bright sunshine, and then – Right there with the stadium being on the harbor, sometime in the winter, you can get wind. And if you got a lot of wind, you're going to have to run the ball. But that's where my second one is, Sean the offensive line. The offensive line played its best game collectively against the Browns, played a huge role in that victory over the Browns. It started with Laramie Tunsil and the way he shut down Miles Garrett. Cleveland media and the fans really got on Miles Garrett. It's like he didn't show up. But another move there that they had played Charlie Heck, and Charlie Heck got obliterated uh, by Zadarius Smith in the Christmas Eve game. They put George Fant back in, and George had a good game, as did all the offensive line. Now, of course, it's going to be not just important on pass protection, but run. they need to run block. Need to run block to get 100 yards, so they're 6-1 with 100 yards. 3-0 and when Singletary gets 100. I'm not asking for Singletary to get 100, but for the Texans team to get 100 because that would bode well. You know the Ravens are going to run it a lot because they're number one in the league, but it all starts with the offensive line.
1: I agree, and I would say, too, just to add to that, John, this isn't my second one, but I'm just adding to it. I wrote you Scruggs' name down a little earlier in my notes before we started doing this. Um, the interior, I I that was one of my six-pack items last week, I think, when we talked about the Browns. And I would similarly talk about the Ravens, the interior of the offensive line, which is the you know, that's the bigger question mark for this team or has been played very, very well against Cleveland. They kept they kept Shroud very clean. Um, they they did enough in the run game in in order to to win that football game. And Juice Scruggs in particular, John, as we not only look at their chances of doing something this postseason, but we look ahead to next year. You know, this rookie class, their rookie class just got rated. The Texans did number one by ESPN for this year, largely based on C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. But you look at the list of rookies that did things for this team, and, boy, if they can just stay healthy next year, you got Scruggs and Patterson and Tank Dell, and Dylan Horton did some nice things before he went out. Toa Toa, you expect him to improve. Scruggs had 22 pass protection snaps last week and didn't allow a single pressure on the interior against a really good defensive line in Cleveland. Justin Matabike is one of the most underrated – well, not underrated. He's second-team All-Pro now. I, I'm just adding to yours, John, like this, particularly the interior protecting CJ and keeping that rush up front I think will be huge. Um, my second one is the linebacking core for the Texans, which actually when you go back and watch the first game between these two teams in week one, played pretty well in that game. There was no Blake Cashman in that game. They had Denzel Perryman played almost every snap in that game. Christian Harris – before he became this version of Christian Harris that we've got now played about 75% of the snaps. The rest of them went to, uh, to, to Toa Toa. It seemed um, the linebackers in this game are going to be a huge storyline to me. Cashman is going to be playing in this game. Christian Harris is playing as good as any Texans defensive player right now. And Denzel Perryman has been a, you know a very solid vet who pops up on the tape two or three times a game. heat seeking missile as far as, the run game goes, they're going to need to be super disciplined in this game, John. I know that we just had Rita on and she said that it's not really their Lamar's desire to run the football, but they're going to run the football with Lamar Jackson. And there's going to be plays that turn into scramble plays with Lamar Jackson. And there's going to be two tight ends to think about now if Mark Andrews plays, not just one. So I think the linebacker, if I'm picking a position group defensively, that's the key to this game. It's the linebacking trio of Cashman Perryman and Christian Harris.
2: I think those are great. And of course, DB's got to cover Zay Flowers and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Can't wait to see what they do with Derek Stingley, if they have him follow one the way he did with Cooper, or they keep him on the sides. Sean, my last one is going to be one that uh, Reed Hubbard brought up, Dalton Schultz.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: Dalton Schultz and uh, Brevin Jordan averaged 56 yards a catch in the victory over the Browns. Each had one. Both had long touchdowns schultz because no other receiver has emerged opposite nico collins and you just got to believe that the defense coordinator mike mcdonald's going to do everything he can to neutralize nico and force somebody else to beat them well would that be another whiteout i think a better choice would be Dalton Schultz, especially down the middle, working the interior of the field the way Mark Andrews does. This is a tremendous matchup of tight ends. And uh, so I can't wait to see how it plays up. I think Schultz will become essential to anything they want to do on offense.
1: I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully they scheme up some stuff for him, like the one catch that he had. John, you know what I would take? I would take another performance from the tight ends like they had in Cleveland, I would take two catches for 113 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns. I would take that performance. I bet again. you would. Big time. Big time. Absolutely. All right, last one, John. Um, special teams, but specifically the kicking game. This might be one of the few games Kymie Fairbairn plays in where he's not the better of the two kickers. But if the Texans are able to keep this thing close, I think a couple of things. One, we heard you have mentioned it. I think Rita mentioned it, the possibility of win – in this game, um, you know, so it's the, both Justin Tucker and Kymie Fairbairn are going to need to be on point in the kicking game. I think if it's a close game, too, John, I feel like the Texans might be a little more comfortable playing a game like that. The Texans are not going to get into a situation where there's five minutes left in this game on the road and they're going to start peeing down their legs. This is a team that played in ten really close games throughout the season and got better in those types of situations as the season as the season went on. They're three. They they went seven and three in games like that the three losses were two last-second field goals and then a field goal they had that bounced off the crossbar against Jacksonville. I don't think the Texans are going to find themselves overwhelmed in any of these situations. They may find themselves in a game that's a two- or three-score game because they just didn't go execute. I don't think it's going to be because they flinch. I don't think it's going to be because D'Amico flinches. I don't think it's going to be because C.J. Stroud flinches, the defense, whatever the case may be. This is a really talented Ravens team. So this could easily be a two- or three-score game, and the Texans might play one of their better games of the season They're just going against a more talented team. But if this thing is close down the stretch, I feel like the Texans have the place kicker to get it done like the Ravens do. But I also feel like they might be the more comfortable of the two teams, ironically, in a close game situation down the stretch here.
2: I used to think Adam Vinatieri was the greatest kicker in history, and then he played over half his career at Indy. So Justin Tucker is the greatest kicker in NFL history because he's been outside for his entire career. And he, of course, is is maybe the best. I think he is the best in NFL history with Vinatieri a close second. And yeah. if it comes down to him kicking in the fifties or whatever to win the game, he's gonna win the game.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, what's the prediction
2: on the game? I'm taking the Ravens 27 to 20.
1: Okay. I got Ravens twenty-four-twenty. So you and I are pretty much on the same page there. I've got him kicking a field goal, whereas you got him kicking a couple field goals there, it sounds like. Um, so 27 20 and 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 look John I think if it finishes with either of those scores hell I think if it finishes 37 to six Ravens we're going into the offseason feeling like this was a freaking incredible year no I think you and I yes either way Saturday night when we're doing the podcast unless they get screwed by the officials or something like that in the game the Texans I and mean, maybe we're talking about that a little more but uh whenever this thing ends to me it ends in celebration whether it's them going on to win a Super Bowl, which I think is in play. I think they can, they can beat anybody. Um, or if it ends with them this Saturday going out with kind of a thud, uh, they've got to be viewed, especially with the offseason pending and having some money and draft capital to go expend. Um, they've got to be viewed, John, not as a really like a dark horse team anymore, that they're one of the last eight teams standing, that they won their division, that they were so good down the stretch, and that they've got a young quarterback that almost any team in the league would trade for right now. It's not a dark horse thing with the Texans going into next year. You know, barring some weird thing happening, um, they are they are a team that should be considered very very seriously as a contender to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC next
2: year. They will be destiny's darlings when it comes to the TV network appearances appearances. It's which would be great. Can you imagine? I, we don't. Both of us don't think this will happen. Say they did get in the AFC Championship game. Had a chance to go to the Super Bowl if they won, and they played the 49ers with oh. all the connections between these two teams.
1: Yeah, Wow. No. And the spread on that game would probably be a double-digit spread, honestly. Like, they would have to continue with – like, if they win this game, John, they're going to be more than a touchdown underdog again next week in Buffalo. And they or like Kansas it. Kansas they love it. They're cool with it. Yeah, that's, that, that's just how they like it, man. Just cool. Don't believe in us. Knock yourself out. Um, all right, John, you ready to do a couple for real or for gazes, sum up some of these other storylines we got going on?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking they like it, they love it, they want some more of it. I'm ready. <laughs>
1: you know, my only disappointment is you didn't sing that. You just said it. I, I needed <laughs> <laughs> um All right, John, here we go. I'll do a couple Texans ones first. John, in this game on Saturday, between the Texans and the Ravens, C.J. Stroud versus Lamar Jackson, the Texans have the more trustworthy quarterback. In this game on Saturday.
2: Fugazi. For real
1: or Fugazi. Sorry about that. Fugazi. Yeah. For real Fugazi. Oh, yeah. I should have been Let me back up. Let me just explain. For real or Fugazi. For sorry, John. I'm gonna, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. You. For real or Fugazi, real quick. Uh, for those who are new to the podcast, because especially in the playoffs, we're getting a lot of new people listening, I think. For real or Fugazi, I read John a handful of sentences here. If he agrees with them, he says for real. If he disagrees, like he just did with this
2: one, he says gazy?
1: Gazy, yeah. Okay. So you trust Lamar Jackson more than you trust CJ Stroud in this situation?
2: Lamar Jackson's an MVP. He's won a playoff game. He's been in the playoff games. CJ's been great so far, but there's no way I could trust a rookie over a veteran who's done everything Lamar Jackson's done.
1: Uh, you know who else has won a playoff game, John? CJ Stroud. That's who he's won yes. a playoff game. Yeah.
2: He sure um, has. All
1: right. Next one, John. A win on Saturday for the Texans makes C.J. Stroud's 2023 season and postseason the best season for any Houston Texan in team history? For real or Fugazi?
2: For real. Uh, Deshaun Watson had a great season in 2020, but the team was terrible, won four games. He led the league, and I think he was second in rating, led in yards, average per attempt. He was tremendous, but, boy, you measure it off success and what the quarterback has done, I think, without a doubt. It would be Stroud's season.
1: Stroud's season. And would you say that ahead of even seasons like J.J. Watt had and Andre Johnson, or are you just saying just quarterback season?
2: Oh, I thought you meant just quarterbacks. I'm no, sorry. I
1: meant best season for a Texan in, in team history. Yeah, I'm de- yes
2: because of a quarterback, because he would yeah. be in the AFC championship game. None of those yeah. other people helped him get to the AFC championship game.
1: Yeah, I mean, J.J. Watt, it all comes down to what you think about accolades like awards versus the ultimate team success. And so it's not just the team success; he's the catalyst for the team success. They're not anywhere. And that Watt guy,
2: Watt guy, was overrated.
1: He was, yeah, 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 yeah. He was way overrated. He, yeah, yeah. You're right. Do he's you know takes
2: in D'Amico's last game of, of uh, Watt's rookie year when he just, uh, the phenomenon, was born in that Cincinnati wild card victory. In that loss at Baltimore, he had D'Amico was in on nine tackles. One for loss. JJ had 12 tackles, three for loss, and two and a half sacks. So that's the way the uh it's amazing the way he was. Yeah, he's okay. He's a good guy. He's got some promise in regular season. Playoff start, boom. Best player on the a field. Superstar, one yeah. of the greatest in NFL history. Yep,
1: yeah, he was he was. I remember that but He and Arian Foster were the two best players on the field that day, I thought, in that loss to the Ravens back in the, the TJ Yates game back then. Um All right, John, let's see. Uh, Keeping Mike McCarthy, John, it sounds like they're going to keep Mike McCarthy up in Dallas. Keeping Mike McCarthy is the right move for 2024 for the Dallas Cowboys. For real or Fugazi?
2: Fugazi. I don't know how they can sell it. I was watching his news conference today. And he, all the things he was saying are true. Well, we, you know, we've won twelve games each of the last three seasons. We got talent. You know, I know how to win because he won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. But the fact is, the Cowboys could go seventeen and zero next year, and nobody would trust them in the playoffs because no. they've blown too many. And that includes McCarthy and Dak Prescott. So. Dan Quinn, how's Dan Quinn going to get a head coaching job? He's doing interviews. Maybe he will, but that was one of the poorest defensive performances I have ever seen poor coach the players look like. They had never been coached. They looked like such – they reminded me of, of uh, roaches when they scatter, when the lights come <laughs> on. They had no idea which direction they were going. It was a terrible job, and I guarantee you, those fans next year, if Quinn's back with McCarthy – not going to be pumped about their chance to go back to the NFC championship game for the first time in 1995. And I'll mention it again, the Texans, since they were born in 2002, have more playoff victories than the Cowboys. I'm
1: just giving the numbers to the people right there. I love it. That That's stance. how many the Texans have. That's how many of the Cowboys have right there. Texans, Cowboys right there, five to four. Um, all right, John, um, the Patriots just promoted Gerard Mayo to their head coaching position. For Rila Fugazi, the Patriots should have undergone a much more thorough search for their head coach.
2: Um, I agree with that, Sean, but it looks like they had it raised since last year when he was inter- going to interview with Carolina and Bob Kraft gave him a huge raise. Now they're saying it was in his contract mm-hmm. that whenever Bill Belichick was gone, he would replace him. And so really... Um, it seems like it's just going to be more the Patriot way. I can't imagine that he can be as hard on the players. Some of them uh, were his former teammates that he can be like that with them. The way Belichick was to me, he can't be the opposite and he can't be the same. So it's going to be a hard line to walk, but they know him very well. You know, he understands the defense. He'll still run the same kind of defense, Steve Belichick was the play caller for that defense, and they offered him a job. And I don't know if Mayo's going to call him now or if he's going to let Belichick call him because Mm. Belichick had decided what he's going to do. He's waiting to see if his daddy goes to Atlanta or one of the other teams.
1: Yep, that's right, that's right. All right, a couple more, John. Here we go. Um, The Detroit Lions, they play a home game. John, this is the first time the Lions in the history of their team have played two home games in the same postseason. 94 years that's never happened where they've had two home games in the same postseason. Um, the Cubs back in 2016 finally got the monkey off their back and won a World Series for the first time in forever. John Farrell or Fugazi, the Lions winning a Super Bowl this year would be an even bigger story than the Chicago Cubs winning a World Series in 2016.
2: The easy because the Cubs have such a national following, yeah. the lovable Cubs. And even though the Lions are popular around the country for what they're accomplishing this year, they don't have a national following. It would be great. It's interesting because when they won their last two championships, there was only one playoff game, and that was the championship. And uh, they did that with Buddy Parker twice and as a coach. And so I think it'd be a tremendous story if they got to the Super Bowl. Ah, uh, would wouldn't it be great if it was the Texans and the Lions oh, in the Super Bowl? Yes. Uh, but uh, I would love to see Detroit do it. But I I, I can't pick against the 49ers because I like Kyle Shanahan and, and a lot of his people in that organization that used to be here with Kyle, like D'Amico and D'Amico was. And so uh, but still, if if the Lions won, who who wouldn't like that? You know, who wouldn't feel great for the Lions to win their first championship since the 50s?
1: All right, quick hitter to follow that one up, John. If there were a lot of people out there that wanted Lions-Browns in the Super Bowl because these are the two sad sack teams that have never been to a Super Bowl and have been around for the whole Super Bowl era, Uh, for real or if you're someone who wanted uh, Lions-Browns in the Super Bowl, you should now want Lions-Texans in the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Too gazy. I don't what? think people around the country care about the Texans. Oh, they don't have long suffering fans. They've only been in since business you. since 2000. You know, long
1: suffering fans. You've covered this team. Long is yeah, a
2: relative term. The uh, Lions have won one playoff game since the yeah. 50s. The Texans That's even true. won 200 Bill O'Brien. So <laughs> I do think this they're building up another national, national following like. Uh, I'm not saying they've reached the Love You Blue Oilers, but yeah. this is a popular team heading in that direction. And I've had quite a few former Oiler players really interested in this team now, texting me, asking me about them. And that's the first time that's happened.
1: A little connection going on right there. I like that. John, you can just shut it down for the day, by the way. That whole thing, they've won one playoff game in team history. The Texans won two under Bill O'Brien. You're not going to do any better than that the rest of the day. I'm just <laughs> letting you know. Um, all right, last one, John. It it won sounds-
2: with, they've won the same number with Brock Osweiler yes. as the Lions have won since the 50s. In the century, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, John,
1: it sounds like Reba McIntyre is going to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl this year. For real or for Whitney Houston's rendition back during Desert Storm is still the greatest national anthem in Super Bowl history.
2: For real, even though it was piped in, it was for real because she Pretty was she so outstanding and popular at that time. And she hit kind of high notes. I don't know that anybody but an opera singer could could hit. I was there. And uh, it was something usually at halftime. People back then, you're writing on deadlines for newspapers, and people stop. The only two times I can ever remember seeing everybody in the press box stop was when Whitney Houston sang the national anthem and when Michael Jackson was the halftime entertainment.
1: That's it, man. Those are the goats right there. Those are the goats. Uh, John, I enjoyed it as always. Can't wait for the game on Saturday and hopefully a victorious pod on Saturday night afterwards.
2: Wouldn't that be something if we were talking about the Texans going to the AFC Championship game in Buffalo or Kansas City? Sean, thank you very much as always.
1: Yeah, Thank you, John. This season of all seasons, man, just crazy. What a time it's been to be a Texan fan. All right, um, we are done. We are out of time. Uh, Big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, for producing this, getting this podcast out to you guys. Big thanks to Rita Hubbard of the Winning Drive podcast jumping on with us. Big thanks to all of you for hitting the subscribe button. Uh, Those of you who have not yet, I'm thanking you in advance for hitting the subscribe button so that you get this podcast sent to you automatically wherever it is you listen to your podcast and on whatever device it is you listen to your podcast so for James and John I'm Sean we're out of time we will see all of you on Saturday well we'll record Saturday evening you'll hear it over the weekend hopefully shouting from the rooftops a Texans victory this has been the Utopia Football Podcast have a great weekend everybody